little bit idea. about it. Everybody, this is Chris Todd, my friend. I'm looking forward to hearing his uh, preaching today and, and teaching us about from God's Word and also encouraging us about the work going on in Lebanon. If you don't follow him already on Facebook on Words of Isa, right? get on Words of Isa and you can see uh, the work that they're doing there in Tyre and Sidon. <laughs> Before you go, brother, okay. I need your help for just okay. a minute. Because one of the things that uh, we've wanted to do for some time to show our gratitude and thanks to the church because y'all have been so gracious over the years to support us and encourage us with prayer and be a part of our ministry. We, we had this made for the church, entire Lebanon, and it's made the, there, and it's an Arabic uh, script from the Bible, and I'm going to read it for you, and Brad is going to translate it for you. <laughs> y'all didn't know he... Listen, y'all didn't know he could speak Arabic, did you? He, he did, yeah. And teaching them yeah. to obey oh, everything I've commanded. I got nervous. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, we'll, we'll, we'll find a good spot for this beside our uh, other paintings from the Middle East area of the place where we can't. But, but to give Brad full credit on this, he knew where to start reading it. Yeah. And he knows which way it should face when he's hanging it. So we're yeah, in so, good shape. You know, <laughs> you ain't bad. come preach to us, Chris. Anyway, thank you. I want to say thank you to all of you. It's so uh, wonderful to be here today. And uh, I don't want you to forget that we definitely came to say thank you. And. Uh, there was something that I wanted to say about the music, too. The praise here is so good. The praise and worship music is so good. I, I really enjoyed it. And I have to say that when... Did y'all have a cello the last time I was here? Well, I, that, that's my favorite musical instrument. Where's our cellist? Thank you. That's my favorite musical instrument. All of them are wonderful. But I really enjoyed having that. And I was Yeah, it does. The cello and the banjo were... We're meant to be together, but there's, there's really something happening there. It's working. It's, 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 it's two of those things that you wouldn't think would go together, and they sure do. They absolutely do. So I'd like to talk with you a little bit today about what we're doing in Lebanon, but I'd also like to do a little preaching. That may, that may happen at some point here. So the theme that I want to talk to you about today, please keep this in mind, this kind of theme as we're going through, is the idea that God... Everything that exists, all of creation, is a story that God is telling to glorify Jesus Christ. So everything that is and was and will happen is all for the glory of Christ. And that includes our lives. Maybe I'd say it especially includes our lives. And so each one of us is, in a way, a story that God is telling to glorify Christ. And what is the story of, in your life? What is God using in your life to glorify Jesus Christ? So I want to start with the scripture, Ephesians 2.10, if we'll put that scripture up on the, on the overhead here. And I want to read this to you from the ESV. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let me start with this. Several of you have noticed that I've lost a lot of weight since I was here last year. In fact, about 50 pounds. And I do not recommend my diet plan because I got type 2 diabetes. So that's not the way to lose 50 pounds. I found that out last September. And uh, of all of the options I was thinking about, that was the best one. So it's kind of rare that you're happy to find that out. 
but I figured that was something I could deal with. And I was talking to Kim about it, and I told her, you know, I'm going to be serious about this. A lot of people are not, um, and, but I want to be really serious. I'm going to take it seriously because here's the reason. I really feel like for the first time in my life, I'm doing the thing that God created me to do. Like everything in my life has led to this point, and God's brought these different things together, and now I'm at the, like the, the point where I'm doing the work he's called and prepared me to do and walking in that work, and I don't want to quit doing it. I mean, all of us want Christ to come back, but I'm really enjoying this time that I've got to, to glorify him before he comes back. And that's, you know, so often in terms of salvation, we have this in mind that once it's appointed man once to die and then the judgment. So we know you don't get a second chance. If you're here today and you're not saved, if you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, I urge you to ignore everything else I'm going to say and start praying right now and do that. Because all of the things I'm going to say only matter if you're saved. I'm going to preach to the saved today in a way because what I'm saying is going to apply to them because they've been created in Christ Jesus. When it says here, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that means a person who's been saved. So if you've not been saved, I urge you to do that so that all the things I'm going to say can, can, can lead you in the right direction today. But we don't often think of it in terms of people who are saved. But here's the thing. If you've been born again, if you've been created in Christ Jesus, you have a certain amount of time before you die to walk in those good works, and then you won't get a chance to do those anymore here on earth. You have a limited amount of time to glorify Jesus Christ with your life. And when we die, we know that we're saved by the grace of God and through faith in Christ alone. It's not our works that saves us. But our works will be judged when we die. The Bible says that will they be hay and stubble and be burned up or will they be gold and silver that are preserved? And so we know that there's something, there's something lasting about the glory we bring to Christ here on earth with our lives. And I want that to be what I bring and lay before the throne forever, not a life of not caring and not walking in the works that God called me to do. And you only get one chance to do those works. However many, however many years you have left here on earth, or days or hours, that's the amount of time you have left to glorify Jesus Christ in this lifetime. So I urge you not to waste any of that time, and I, I know I don't have any to waste. So this picture here is actually in Lebanon. All the pictures I'll show you today from Lebanon, and uh, Anna and Olivia are here with me today, who are in this picture, and beyond that is a village where we're working in the mountains. I go up there and preach occasionally, uh, but the main work that we're doing is in Tyre, and I'll be talking more about that today. So this next slide is actually the Rasul Ain refugee camp. I don't think any of you have been to Tyre, have been to this camp. You've been, some of you have been to the other one that's there in Tyre. But this camp is the first one that we started working in. And I'm putting, as, I put this other scripture up here with which we're all familiar. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So I've already neglected my scripture. So let's slide back to the previous slide, because I didn't talk about the scripture that I want to preach about. That's a bad way to preach, isn't it? I got ahead of myself. So anyway, for we are his workmanship, I want to kind of unpack this verse. We're his workmanship. The Greek word that's used here for workmanship is poema, from which we derive our English word poem. Now, you can't take our meaning and throw it back on the Greeks. They really meant workmanship. They didn't mean poems. But we derived from that our word for poem, and it really made me think about the fact that a poem is a form of workmanship, and it's a storytelling. And so in a sense, we're all poems or stories that God is telling. That's the way that we're his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for a specific purpose. You weren't created aimlessly for no particular reason in Christ Jesus. 
but you were created for good works. Those works are the purpose for which you were created. You were created for good works. Not just any good works, but works which God prepared beforehand. Beforehand. So before you were born again, God created works for you to do. He had a thing he wanted to do in his sovereign will, and he said, I'm going to create bread to do that work. I'm going to create Misty to... Is Misty in here? Oh, okay, all right. I, I, I looked over at you, and I was like, where's Misty? Um, I, he created each one of us for a good work. We're all created for these specific good works which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. That's the way we're supposed to live our life. We're supposed to walk in these good works. So now on to the next slide, the Rosaline. And so this idea of, of Jesus be, telling a story through our lives, he even incorporated that into the way he taught and the way he identified himself. He taught through these powerful, powerful parables. And he was identified as the word of God. And so we see that this idea of a story to glorify Jesus Christ is really something that's found in the scriptures. So I want to share with you then a few stories from what God is doing in Tyre, Lebanon. So this next slide... In the Rasa Line camp, you know that we have come here over the years and I've talked about church planting work that we've done in different places and we've always kind of done the build a building and start a program and bring people to it kind of church planting, which is great. But we really felt like that we needed to be more among the people, to be in the people and among them, incarnationally, just as Christ was God incarnate among us, we needed to go and be the, the church incarnate or the, the body of Christ among the people uh, in the camps. And so that was what we wanted to do this, this year. So this next slide. So what we did is we went to the Rossaline camp that I showed you a picture of. And we got a room there, an empty room. And we told all the kids, hey, come on, we're going to do school for you. Now these kids, these Syrian refugee children, this war has been going on for seven years. And a lot of these kids have never been in school before. I talked about this last year when I was here. And I told y'all that Kim and I had a vision that God would do this the next year. And he's done it. And so I'm telling you about that. These kids, a lot of them, have never been to school before. They don't know anything. And so they were so excited. The kids were excited to come to school. You know, school started here. And our kids, we have to like, school started. You got to go. I don't want to go. No, you got to go. But these kids had never been to school. And it was their dream to go to school. Look at that boy right there. He was so excited to be able to stand up and recite his ABCs in school. You can just see the pride and the happiness and that smile he has on his face. And so the kids were so happy to come and be in school. We teach them a basic reading, writing, arithmetic, and Bible curriculum is, is what we teach. We teach Arabic and mathematics and Bible. And so it's a very simple curriculum, but those are the essentials that they need. And we started this program. You can see the room's full of kids. And in the beginning, all we had was a concrete floor and a bunch of kids. That was it. But we were ready to teach and they were ready to learn. This next slide, we had friends here in North Alabama and Tennessee who helped us with the program because if you're going to do a school, you need books and you need uh, notebooks and you need pencils and you need to pay teachers and all of these things that go into running a school program. And so when we had the funds for those things coming, then we were able to make it look much more like a school. This, this is beginning to look very much like a, like a school here. And I want to tell you a story about the little girl in the front there in the black shirt that's got her hand raised up. So I was walking into the class one day just to see how things were going, and I'm going to tell you about our teachers later. I teach occasionally, but we have four people who teach for us, and I'm more of the school administrator would be kind of my role. So I was walking into the class one day, and Yasser, one of our teachers, was teaching a class. 
And he was teaching the kids about giving your best to God. Brad, you were preaching about giving earlier, and everything Brad said was true. And, and, and it so much reminded me of the thing that Yasser was saying to the children that day. He said, when you give to God, always give your best to God. When you give of your time, give him the first and the best of your time. When you give of your energy, give him the best that you have. When you give him from your wealth, from your belongings, give him the best you have. When you give to the poor, don't go into your closet and get the clothes you don't want to wear anymore that you're tired of and give those to the poor. Give them from the stuff that you have that you want to wear. Give them from your best because you're giving it to God. And I thought, praise the Lord. That's a sermon that we could have in every church. And I'm so happy that our kids are getting that kind of teaching in this program. So this girl, uh, after he was finished, she said, I don't, I don't know what this word is that you keep using gospel. Can you tell me what the word gospel means? The Arabic word was injil that he kept using. And she didn't know what it meant. She, she was not familiar with the word. So she said, tell me what this gospel is. And so he said, well, I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell you the angel comes from the Greek word and, and we use it this way and here's the grammar and here's how it came into Arabic. And as a teacher, he explained all that to her. And then he said, but let me tell you what the gospel means to me, how it's changed my life, how Jesus Christ has, has changed me. I want to I tell you what the gospel means to me personally. And I was so excited to hear him witnessing uh, to her as part of his answer. And so I just love the way that God has brought this program together so that we can meet their educational needs and, and their more, even more important spiritual needs at the same time. So it's just wonderful that God is doing that. Uh, this uh, next picture. So that went pretty well. That went pretty well in the Rasa Lion Camp, and it's still going well today. It's very unusual that you do some kind of project, a mission project like this, and it goes better than you thought it would. That doesn't happen very often, but in this case it did. And the Lord has really had a hedge around that program from the beginning. And so in December, we thought, well, hey, that was really easy. Let's start another one. So we went into the, we went into the Spinney's camp, the El Basel camp. We went in there to start a program in December, and we got kicked out three times in one month out of the camp. So it was very, very rough in the beginning in the Spinney's camp. That camp is a stronghold of Satan. I talked to another pastor in town, and he said, that camp is hard. I've tried working there, and I can't. It's just impossible to work in that camp. And so it really is a stronghold of Satan. He's got that camp in his hands. You've been to that camp. You've been to a, to a home in that camp, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's just a spirit in that camp of, of, of hard exclusion. There's not an openness there like you might see in some other places. And so we, but we don't run away from strongholds. That's not what God calls us to do. We have powerful spiritual weapons that break down strongholds. And so when we see a stronghold of Satan, we don't run away and say, oh, that's too hard, let's go find an easy place. We deploy those spiritual weapons that break down strongholds, those weapons of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. Imagine in an ancient days, like when Alexander the Great came and laid siege to our city of Tyre. Imagine that there's a big wall around the city, and so there are these uh, catapults. They're throwing things over the wall. They're, they're trying to knock down the fortification. There's, there's people at the door battering it down with a, with a battering ram at the gates of the city, and there's people with ladders going over the wall, and that's how we need to be. When we find a stronghold of Satan, we need to use these powerful spiritual weapons to break down that stronghold and rescue those who are trapped inside it. And so we don't turn away from places like the Spinney's camp. So this next slide, we actually, uh, we actually bought our own refugee tent. 
Um, it, you can see that it's like all kind of where poor people live around the world. It's scrap lumber and plastic, and there's tires on the roof holding it down, but it's ours. And, I, and they can't kick us out of the camp because we own the tent. And I, Kim and I have been married uh, over 25 years now, and I told her, I said, honey, when you married me, I bet you never thought you'd have anything like this, did you? <laughs> but, uh, but we actually had an open house. We invited people to come and told them about the program that we were going to do and the educational program. And this next slide is actually a picture of our classroom. So you can see now it's looking much more like a schoolroom, and we're teaching the kids. The lady in the picture is actually from Tennessee. She's from a team that came down from Cleveland, Tennessee. And I'm going to talk with you all about maybe coming and working with us. Um, then the, there's a painting in the upper left there that was actually done by Clay Miner, who's a youth pastor over at Beulah Baptist Church here in Marshall County. Clay came and worked with us this year. And he taught the gospel through that painting. All of the elements in the painting are part of the gospel story. And so it was wonderful to have that teaching opportunity. And I really thought that they were very, the Beulah Baptists, they were very smart in the way they did it because they sent the youth pastor first, and then if he made it back, it was okay for everybody else to go. So I thought that was a pretty clever way to arrange things. This, uh, this next picture, these are the bad kids. You know, if you're doing a school program and you're trying to keep order in the classroom so you can teach, some of the kids are going to misbehave and you're going to have to put them out of class. So on this particular day, I had put all of these kids out of class for misbehavior. But I, I love my bad kids, and I'm going to take up for them. These are kids who've never been in school before. They don't know what to do. They don't know right from wrong. They don't know how to behave in a classroom. We're teaching kids for the first time how to go in and sit down and pull out a notebook and a pencil and start writing in it. They've, ne they've, they've never been taught how to do that in a classroom before. So, of course, some of them are going to misbehave. Of course they are. And so we... We send them out, but, but they want to come back, and we want them to come back. So they come back, and, okay, you're sorry. Yeah, I tell the teacher you're sorry, and you're not going to do it again, and I go sit down and be quiet. But uh, Kim actually went out on this day. My wife, Kim, for those of you who don't know her, she went out that day and just sat down with the kids that I'd kicked out of class and, uh, and started just writing with them in a notebook. And the kids wanted to take the pencil and write things in the notebook. They wanted to be in class that much that even after they got kicked out, they were willing to gang around a notebook and write in it. And here's the thing, Kim doesn't speak Arabic, but she does love kids. And if you have love, you can communicate with people. It's, it's a universal language that breaks down all of these barriers if you're just willing to love people. The little girl there who's looking back at us, her name is Aya. And her story is very typical of a lot of the stories of kids in the camp. Aya's mother has two little kids that she takes care of. The father abandoned them in the refugee camp and went to the city and married another woman. Now, in the Muslim culture, you can have multiple wives, so he did not divorce her. He just left her and the girls in the camp and went to the city and married another woman, and he lives in the city with his second wife, and that mother has to take care of those two babies in the refugee camp by herself. And so she gets up along with other women in the camp, and they go out in the morning, and they start working in the fields, tending the crops, planting and harvesting things, and she works there until 2 or 3 in the afternoon so that her babies will have something to eat. And Aya has to take care of her little sister, who's about two years old. So when we began the program, the school program, we didn't want all the little kids coming because they're, they're rowdy and they're hard to handle. But what we figured out is, if you want the big kids to come, you've got to let the little kids come because the, the kids Aya's age are raising, taking care of their little brothers and sisters. And so we had to make a, we, we sort of called it a, a, a kindergarten class, but it was a really just bring any kid you want to and put it in this room class just so we'd have a way uh, for some of the kids to come to school like Aya. 
So when, when we have the little ones come, we do have a separate, uh, a separate uh, class for them. Go ahead to that next picture. So I want to tell you now what I think is the, the part of the program that has blessed me the most. And that's the teachers that God has provided uh, to work with us in this program. So we have four teachers now that are currently working with us in this program. All four of the teachers are Muslims who've come to faith in Christ. And now they're going back into the camps and working with Muslim people, sharing their faith in Christ among their own people. So here are their pictures. And I'll start on the upper left and I'll tell you their stories. That's Sukaina. Sukaina is a Palestinian girl. And her family was actually, uh, was actually kicked out of Israel at the end of the 1948 war and has never been allowed to go home uh, to their home there. So they're generationally uh, refugees in Syria. They lived in Syria for generations. And she was born in Syria and has been a refugee there all her life. Then when the war broke out in Syria, they had to come to Lebanon. So she's twice a refugee from, from, from Israel and then from Syria. Now she's a refugee in Lebanon. And she actually came to the Lord through teaching the Bible to some missionaries. There was a Korean missionary couple that came to Tyre and wanted to learn Arabic. And so they hired her to be their language teacher. And she started teaching them from the Bible. And so she started reading, and, and, and the things from the Bible were speaking to her. And she would go home, and she would say to her dad, hey, did Jesus really say this? Is, this? is this true? And her dad would say to her, you know, it's just a job. You know, don't believe them, and don't believe their book. But the word kept speaking to her, and she gave her life to Christ and was baptized in the church in Tyre. And she began, she was the first teacher that began the, the program with me. We have Beshoy, who is actually uh, a Muslim who came to faith in Egypt, and he uh, actually, it, one of the sad things about many of the Muslims who come to faith in Christ is that often the churches won't accept them. They don't trust them. They don't know if they've really come to Christ or if they're just tricking them. And so, and they're afraid of the, what the Muslims in the community might do to them, uh, to the people in the church. So they're afraid to accept Muslims who come to Christ. And that was his experience. He ended up moving to another part of Egypt and taking on a new name and a new background, a new identity, so that he'd be accepted. Eventually, his past caught up with him, and he had to leave Egypt with his wife and come to Lebanon. They have a baby now, and they work with us in the educational program. On the lower left is Yasser, and he, I told you about what he was teaching the kids in the classroom. He's our professional educator. He was actually an educator in Syria for 14 years and knows any of our decisions about curriculum, what we ought to be teaching to each grade level and which book we ought to be using. He makes all those decisions. Um, so that our program has a level of professionalism. It would not have if I were making those decisions. <laughs> uh, on the right is Uma Brar, and she's a sweet lady that I've known for years, a wonderful, uh, a wonderful lady who loves to, to talk about her faith in Christ. And her story is interesting because the women in the camp came to us uh, to ask us about starting a women's literacy program. So often we think that children's ministry is how we're going to reach a group of people because, you know, you can reach the children and the parents come, and that's a really good way of doing it. And that's what we thought we were going to do, but the Lord really used this women's program because the women came to us and said, we want to learn how to read and write. Will you get us a teacher? So we brought Uma Brar to, to do our women's literacy program. She does it in, two, in both camps now. She does the women's literacy program, and she has 15 to 18 women that come every time she has class. So she has strong groups in both camps. And so now that we have the mamas on our side, we can do what we want. <laughs> They're kind of the key to the camp. So this, uh, this next picture. I want to talk with you about coming to Tyre. 
And if you're like a normal, well-adjusted person, you're not going to come, okay? Because sane people don't make that decision. But I want to talk with those of you who are a little bit more daring or a little bit more unhinged, who are willing to consider something like that. Maybe you're nuts and you're willing to come. I want to share with you a scripture first. I want to share with you from Luke chapter 14. So if you want to, if you've got your, your Bible or your phone, because many of us use our phones these days. Uh, Luke chapter 14, I'm going to start reading in verse 25. And I'm only going to read uh, a, short, a short amount. So this to me is one of the most troubling um, scriptures as far as trying to preach it or explain it. A lot of preachers are, are reluctant to try to explain this because it doesn't make any sense. So I'm going to read it, and I don't know that I can explain it to make sense, but I'm going to do my best. Now great crowds accompanied him, meaning Jesus, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That makes no sense. Jesus, how could you say something like that? How, this is crazy for Jesus. To, how, can you, how can you hate your father and mother? Doesn't the Bible tell us in a commandment to honor our father and our mother? How can you hate your wife? The Bible tells us that your wife is like your own flesh. How can you hate your children? That, listen, that is impossible to hate your children. Any parent would rush into a burning building. Any mom or dad would rush into a burning building and, and give their own life to save their children because it's normal for parents to love their children's lives more than they love their own life. Brothers and sisters. Now, maybe that one. <laughs> maybe you can hate your brother and sister. That's probably the easiest one out of all of those. Even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That is a hard teaching, and I never understood it until I saw Muslims coming to Christ. A Muslim has to do this if they come to Christ. Because when they come to Christ, like here, if somebody, if somebody gets saved here today, we'll all shout hallelujah, and the parents will get on Facebook and talk about it, and Grandma will be tagging all of her friends because she wants them all to know, and it'll be like a glory hallelujah. But in the Muslim world, if someone comes to Christ, their family considers that they've betrayed them. They've betrayed their family. They've betrayed their heritage and their community. They're like an outcast and a traitor. There's no glory hallelujah for them. They have to hate their father and mother and wife and sometimes their children and brothers and sisters. They have to do this. And when we, when we preach the gospel to them, we're asking them to do this. Now here's the question that I want to lay before you today. Are we willing to do this? Are we who have it easy, are we willing to do this? And I want to tell you a story. This happened here in Marshall County. So... I was, I was teaching at a church about this school program, in fact. And there was a, a young lady who, after, after service, came up to talk to me, and I could tell she was really excited because she was a school teacher. She said, I love this program. I love to teach. It's like my passion, and I think I could come and work in your program. I think God is, is calling me to come and help you in this. And I could see it in her eyes, and I could just feel the Holy Spirit working in her and drawing her. The, the, the Spirit was doing something. And then Mama came along. And Mama came up and grabbed her by the arm and said, I want you to get those foolish ideas out of your head. You're not going anywhere, and you're not doing anything like this. Mama was used of Satan that day. She thought she was loving her daughter. 
by protecting her daughter from anything dangerous. But in fact, she was hating her daughter, and she was hating God's purpose in her daughter's life. We get love and hate mixed up because we don't view them in the frame of obedience to God. Sometimes to obey God, we need to hate things. We should hate injustice. We should hate sin. We should hate when people are cruel to one another. We should hate that. And sometimes love is wrong. Sometimes love that is not obedient to God perverts the act of love. This mother's love was perverted. She did not understand it and she did not control it in terms of obedience. So my question for you is what would you do in that situation? What would you do if your son... I know what you'd do. What would you do if your son came to you and said, I want to go over there and I want to lead a a Bible study. I want to teach them some because I want them to believe in Jesus like I do. What would you do if your daughter said, I want to come and and play my musical instrument for them. I want to lead them in some worship so maybe they'll believe in in worshiping Christ like I do. I want to do that, Mom and Dad. Are you willing to let your children do that? Are you willing to let your wife, your husband, your father and your mother, are you willing to let them do those things? My mother, she's a little woman about this tall, and she's 82 years old. But when we went to Lebanon, she, the other, I'll tell you what she did, but the other disturbing story in the Bible is when Abraham takes his son Isaac and lays him on that altar, and he's about to plunge that knife in his heart. Is that not like the most dark and disturbing thing? But what Abraham was really doing is saying, this one belongs to you. This one belongs to you, God. It doesn't belong to me. Are we willing to do that? My mother picked me up and carried me and put me on that altar and said, this one belongs to you, God. She's never given me any trouble about going. She says, you go and do what God's called you to do. Are we willing to do that with our mothers and fathers and wives and children? Are we willing to do that? So we expect the Muslims to obey this bizarre teaching, but are we willing to obey it? That's that's what I want to lay before you today. That may be more preaching than you thought you were going to get, but... But anyway, let's, let's go to the next, uh, next picture here. So this is a team from Albertville that came some years ago. And the reason that I, that I use this picture here is because Lauren is right in the middle of the picture. She's a teenage girl. Her daddy said, yeah, go. <laughs> Who lets their teenage daughter go to Tyre, Lebanon? But you, this is a group uh, that was, this is a parents that were obedient to God. The wife came too, that's her mother standing right beside her holding the baby, that came and worked with us there in Tyre, Lebanon. Some of you may know Jackie Gaston, the pastor that came. Um, go to this next slide. So this is, this is Clay. I was telling you about Clay Miner that came and, uh, and taught the gospel. And you can see that uh, the, the people really loved painting the portrait. And the part that I loved was telling them the story. Because Clay, as we went through this, he would tell them things about the elements of the picture that were related to the gospel, and I would translate it for them, and they, they learned the gospel through painting that picture. Go ahead to the... And Clay could also swing a hammer, which is very useful. Go to that next picture. This is a group of ladies from uh, Cleveland, Tennessee, that came. And uh, <clears throat> I talked to you all in years past about our baby ministry. The Syrian refugee mothers, a lot of times when they go in the hospital, they don't have enough money to pay their hospital bill, and the hospital will hold the baby and release the mother. So they send mama home, and they keep the baby until the medical bill is paid. It's horrible. It's inhumane. It's inhuman what they're doing. And so we, we have a program now where we, in the beginning, we ransomed the babies from the hospital, but we've come to the point now where we get the moms to come to us ahead of time. We still ransom them when it needs to be done. 
But what we really want to do is we want the moms to come to us ahead of time and let us know they're going to be having a baby and we're able to plan everything out and get them admitted and, and they take their baby home with no hassle. And so we did that with this mother in the camp. She's in the Spinney's camp and she has her baby there with her that we helped uh, her to go through the hospital and have the baby and get out. And these ladies came and did a baby shower for her just like a little baby party. And in the, in the Muslim culture, when the mother has a baby and comes home with the baby, she's expected to clean her house, and the mom does this now, or maybe she's got her mother to help her. She cleans her house and makes baked goods and puts out gifts and decorates so her guests can come and see her baby. And so she didn't have any way to do that, or really many guests to come because she's a refugee. So it really meant a lot to her that these ladies came and celebrated the birth of her baby with her. It meant a lot to her, just that act of loving kindness. This uh, next picture, this is from our women's program, and the lady there in that picture is a worship leader at a church in Tennessee, and she came down and she led some of the ladies in song, and uh, they threw a Mother's Day party for the ladies in the, in the women's program, and a party broke out. <clears throat> one of the things I loved most about the program they did was one of the ladies shared the story of Ruth and Naomi with our women's group and said, listen, Ruth and Naomi were refugees like you, and they placed their trust in God, and he was faithful to them through the end. And he will be faithful to you, too, if you place your trust in him. It was a very powerful uh, story that they told to the ladies. And then uh, this last picture here. This lady, uh, she didn't have any talents that she could identify, but she loved to hug children. And that turns out to be a great talent. Um, so there's my contact information on the bottom, email and my phone number while I'm in the U.S., you may be saying to yourself, <clears throat> you may be saying to yourself, um, what can I do? Well, I'm, I'm not, a, uh, I'm not a, a musical person. I'm not a person who teaches. I'm not a person who does any of these things. That's never been an obstacle. Nobody's ever come to Tyre and, and me say to them, oh, I don't know what we're going to do with you. That, that doesn't happen. When we are obedient to God, he uses our obedience for his glory. Now, some of you who've been, I'd love for you to come back. Nate. You come back, brother? All right. Fantastic. I'd love, and, and it makes like a, I know it's been a while since the honeymoon, but it would make a great, it would make a great like re-honeymoon. Um, but some of you who've not been before, I'd love for y'all to come too. We have a, we have a room in our home. Uh, where we host teams, so you'd be staying with us, and we can talk about the details of that. But the most important thing is, is God calling you? And if he's calling you, be obedient to that. Just step out and say, God, I'm going to obey you, and I'm going to come, and we'll figure out what we're going to do. So if that's you, uh, there's my contact information. So I'd like to take a moment to pray, and then Brad, whatever y'all are doing, to close. Father, I just want to thank you for this wonderful church. Thank you for their spirit. Father, I just pray that you would, uh, would continue to work your will here. Let them be a bold witness in the city. Father, let them lift up the name of Jesus that he would be glorified here. And we just pray, Father, that your spirit would be here among us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, I'm sorry. I neglected one thing. Purses. Um, Rania, Kim? So Yasser's wife, one of our teachers, his wife made purses, and she makes them to raise money for her family because they're refugees. 
So if you're interested in one of those ladies, my daughters will have them for sale outside after service. If you'll stand with us, we're gonna sing. <laughs> 